Good morning. Welcome to church. We're so glad to see you guys. Today is Christ the King Sunday, if you guys didn't know that, so that's exciting. There's gonna be, you'll, we'll be singing a lot about that. I'll take that off, sorry. All right, I'm going to read this call to worship for us this morning. Uh, as always, I just want to give you guys a moment just to separate ourselves from the things of the week, all the distractions that we have that just life that we bring in here with us. We can just take a moment to like let that fall off and just come into the presence of God. Philippians 2, verse 9 through 11 says, Therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. He is the King. Let's worship him today.
Amen. As we remain in an attitude of worship this morning, would you just pray with me this morning? Lord God, we thank you for your love that is felt in this place this morning. And God, we just pray that you would continue to move among us. Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would come. We pray that your presence would be felt in this place. God, we pray that you would continue to comfort hearts that are mourning this morning. God, we pray that you would draw near to those who are sick. Lord, I know that there are many in this place who have just had a long and stressful, hectic week. God, many of those aren't able to be with us this morning, but we pray, God, that your presence would be felt in their midst. That as so many of our families might be worshiping at home this morning and they're watching online, God, we know and we trust that you are very much present in their living rooms and in their homes. And God, we just pray that they would feel and be encouraged by your renewing presence. God, we thank you for your steadfast love that is so evident in your son, Jesus, Jesus, we thank you for being our king, the one where we can place our hope. Lord, it is difficult sometimes as we look around this world, as we are just overwhelmed by the chaos that is abounding in us and around us. It's difficult to find hope. It's difficult at times to feel hopeful. But Lord, when we gather in this place, we are reminded that we are a people of hope, that we have hope, and that hope is only found in Jesus. So Lord Jesus, I pray that you would renew that hope within our hearts this morning. Lord Jesus, as as some of us struggle to find something to be hopeful for and hopeful about, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would remind us of the hope that we have that is found in you. And as we look around and as we're trying to find things in this world that bring us fulfillment, that bring us hope, that bring us joy, we're going to find time and time again that we will fall short, that the things around us are going to fall short and they will not fulfill us. Only you, Lord Jesus. You are the only one who will fulfill and sustain. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you not only for being the one in whom we can place our hope, but you are our Savior and you love us. Lord, I just pray that that love would be felt in this room and in our hearts and that we would be a people who go and move and carry that love with us to everyone we meet. Lord, I just pray that as we enter into this time of of teaching and the reading of your word, 
Holy Spirit, would you speak a new word to us today? Holy Spirit, would you guide and correct us this morning? Would you help your word to come alive? And pierce our hearts. God, we love you. We thank you that you love us. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning is, um, as you all know, Sunday before Thanksgiving. But this Sunday is also special for another reason. Uh, this Sunday is what we, uh, those of us who follow the rhythms of the Christian calendar, this Sunday is what we call Christ the King Sunday. Is anyone familiar with Christ the King Sunday? Maybe a few, okay, we have a few. Maybe several that are, are familiar with Christ the King Sunday. Well, as you guys know, um, as a Christian church, we do at times follow the rhythms of the Christian calendar. And just like you and I have a yearly calendar, one that tracks and marks our events, and, and it's what we use to keep up with what's going on, the church has what we call a Christian calendar. And that Christian calendar exists so that we can have a creative and effective way to tell the story of Jesus from the beginning to the end. And this Christian calendar actually begins a new year every year on the first Sunday of Advent, which is next Sunday, believe it or not. And so that makes this Sunday the last Sunday on the Christian calendar, and this Sunday is called Christ the King Sunday. So why is this important? Why pay attention to a day like Christ the King Sunday? And I hope that by the end of this sermon, you'll understand why it's an intentional and important moment. But I just want to tell you up front that this is an intentional moment for us, for Christians, for the church. It's an opportunity for us to reassess our mission and our values. It's a moment for us to pause and ask who are we as Christians? What does it mean that Jesus Christ is our king? Because he is our risen king, amen? Oh, we can do better than that. He is our risen king, amen? He is, and so what does that mean for us? Is that just something we say, or do we actually orient, um, orient our lives around that? So why is Christ the King Sunday important? Well, before we start Advent, before we begin the season of Advent next week, before we begin the story all over again with the birth of Christ, the divine conception and birth of Christ, today we pause and celebrate what it means to be people who follow Christ the King. On this last Sunday, on the Christian calendar, we are going to end with this proclamation of this is who Jesus is, King and this is what it means for us as kingdom people. So with that in mind, I'm going to invite you to stand again if you're able to. And we're going to read this passage this morning that's going to remind us of just who this Christ the King is. We're going to be reading from John chapter 18, starting with verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace Summoned Jesus and asked him, 
Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priest handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. So you are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king, but in fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Friends, this is the word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right, so let's say that you weren't familiar with Christ the King Sunday before. Maybe it was a little unfamiliar to you, this this term, Christ the King Sunday. If you weren't familiar with what that means, were you honestly surprised by the passage that we just read? Were you a little bit surprised that this is the kind of passage we would read on Christ the King Sunday? Were you expecting a passage maybe out of Revelation you know, where Jesus is riding in on the clouds. Lord Almighty, risen King of Kings, coming back once and for all to rescue us, to save us, to make all right with the world. Were you expecting the passage from the book of Acts, where Jesus ascends into heaven as risen King to sit at the right hand of God the Father? Are you surprised that instead the passage that we read this morning is one that is right out of Jesus' trial? Is that surprising or confusing to you? Because let's be honest, this passage at first glance doesn't exactly depict the reign of Christ the King in the eyes of many, right? We can be honest about that. This doesn't seem like a very uh, a passage that describes Jesus in this kingly light, Because in this passage, if you're familiar with the context of this passage, what's happened before this moment, in this passage, Jesus is being opposed. Jesus is being sentenced. He's being sentenced to death for a crime he didn't commit. So how does this passage underline Jesus' kingship? I mean, the Jewish leaders who have turned Jesus over, they certainly do not receive Jesus as Christ their king, right? This very moment that we just read is the culmination of weeks and months and years of grievances against Jesus on behalf of the religious leaders and the religious authorities. This moment is a result of of this disruption of power, on Jesus' part. And this moment is the result of ultimate rejection of any power of Jesus as as Christ the King or Messiah. Because Jesus up until this moment, and and not not this moment, this moment's not excluded from that, but Jesus up until this moment has declared that he is indeed the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is from God and he is God. And the religious leaders couldn't imagine how Jesus was using this supposed authority 
to do crazy things like welcome sinners to his table. Jesus was doing crazy things with the supposed authority of God. He would do crazy things like move in close to the sick, the physically lame, and the demon-possessed. What kind of king does that? Jesus did crazy things with this power, like he invited women to his circles and made them feel included when society did no such thing. Jesus did crazy things with this power, like elevate the poor, the meek, and the lowly, those who are considered outsiders. Jesus used that power. This is where it really ticks people off. Jesus used that power to silence the leaders of the religious circles. The nerve. Can you imagine? Jesus used that power to silence the leaders within the religious circles. It's like, Jesus, if you're going to use your power and authority to silence anyone, shouldn't you be silencing the Roman government? The one who is, the one who is making life so hard for us? Jesus, shouldn't you be using your, your kingly power to make this a more hospitable, hospitable environment for us, the religious leaders? What are you doing, Jesus? There's no way. You must not be a king. You must not be the Messiah. You must have no power and authority. You see, the truth of Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the King, this truth was rejected. It was rejected by the religious leaders and eventually those who followed them, those who were in their circles. The truth was distorted. This truth that Jesus talks about in this passage, that truth was distorted and it was made to look like something it wasn't. So how does this passage underline Jesus' kingship? I mean, this certainly isn't very convincing for Pilate, is it? This moment that we just read, it certainly doesn't seem to do anything for Pilate. He, he doesn't seem to be buying this idea that Jesus is any kind of king. I think Pilate's trying to make sense of it all. I think Pilate is trying to get there, but he's having a really hard time. And Jesus is just not cooperating with him. He is just not helping him out very much. And G or Pilate doesn't seem to be receiving Jesus as king. And he starts off, as we just read, point blank asking Jesus in verse 33, Jesus, are you the king of the Jews, as these people are saying? Is that who you are? I would imagine that he's kind of confused when asking Jesus this, because you have to imagine the moment that Jesus doesn't exactly look like a king in this moment, right? You're thinking about king in the terms of what Pilate would be thinking about when he's thinking of a king, and it's just laughable. To Pilate, who is a Roman governor trying to figure out what's going on here, Pilate is not taking Jesus seriously as a king. He doesn't look like a king. He's not acting like a king. He is not some zealous revolutionary. He's just kind of standing here uncooperative barely saying anything at all. And instead of, of looking at a king, an impressive king, Pilate is looking at this poor man who is from the wrong side of the tracks, who's from the dumpy neighborhood in the wrong part of the country. That's who he's looking at, and he's supposed to understand this man to be a king. Oh, and at one time he had followers, but now they're nowhere to be found. 
And Pilate's got to be thinking, I'm sorry, don't kings have crowds that follow them and, and express their affirmation and praise for this king? And so Jesus asked Pilate, he says, is that your own idea, Pilate? Or did others talk to you about me? This was curious to me. I didn't really know what to make of this question that Jesus asked to Pilate. When Pilate says, are you king of the Jews? Jesus doesn't answer with a yes or a no. He says, is that what you say I am, Pilate? But this is a curious question, isn't it? And I wonder, I don't know, I'm no scholar. Scholars don't really have a definitive thing to say about this. But I wonder, is this a moment where Jesus does what he does? And is he peering into the heart of Pilate in this moment? Is he pausing and, and peering into the heart of Pilate, a Roman governor, somebody who is not at all interested in the Jews or, or supposed king of the Jews? He just kind of wants to deal with this matter and get it over with. But is Jesus in this moment giving Pilate, a Roman governor, the opportunity to respond to his messiahship, to his kingship? That sounds a little crazy, right? Because we know Pilate doesn't do that. He doesn't respond Pilate seems to completely miss it altogether, but man, that sure does sound like Jesus, doesn't it? Given, giving even a Roman governor the opportunity to respond, who do you say I am? But he misses it. Pilate completely misses it. Instead, I imagine him backing up a little bit like, whoa, 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 Jesus, am I a Jew? Are you seriously confusing me with with the Jewish people, it's your people who have turned you over to me. You did something to, to make them very angry. By the way, what did you do to make them so angry? I'm not a Jew. Don't even con confuse me with, with your people, Jesus. Pilate seems to be completely disassociating himself from the Jews. Because let's be honest, Pilate is only interested in one thing, I think. I think he's only interested in one thing, and that is to assess whether or not this Jesus, king of the Jews, is a threat to the Roman Empire. Because king is a very political term, and Pilate's a political guy. And so he's got to figure out if this king is a danger and a threat to the Roman government or not. And I think he decides pretty quickly, after sizing up Jesus, up and down, just kind of like, yeah, I'm thinking we're safe for now. I don't think this guy's a threat. But make no mistake, he does not want to be mixed up in whatever this drama is. It doesn't involve him. He's a Roman governor. But at the same time, Pilate does have a political choice to make, doesn't he? He's still a guy in the political realm, and, and in this moment, he's like looking at Jesus, and he's like, I don't think he's a king, but I don't think he's guilty of anything, but I'm looking at this crowd of people, and I kind of want to please them, so he does what's politically popular, right? And so Pilate, like the religious leaders, he rejects the truth about who Jesus is. You see, this passage at first glance, this passage might not seem like the appropriate passage for Christ the King Sunday. But friends, that's the point. 
The point is that it's the upside down backwards passage like this that reminds us of the very profound implication that Jesus is a very different kind of king and he is bringing in a very different kind of kingdom. He is not in competition with the Roman Empire, right? Jesus' understanding of, the, of this word king is so much different from Pilate's understanding of the word king. And Jesus does not and will not establish his kingdom the way other kings do, with violence, with force, with oppression, right? Jesus says instead in verse 36, my kingdom is not from this world. It's from another place. And friends, that doesn't mean that the kingdom of God is not present or active. Amen? We know that it is. We talk about this often, that the kingdom of God is present. It is among us. It is active, but it's very much different from the world's kingdoms. It does not operate the same way in which our worldly kingdoms operate. The kingdom of God has different values. The kingdom of God is different from the world's kingdoms. It's a kingdom in which we say God first. It's a kingdom in which we say others first. And it's a kingdom in which we say I'm last. Let others go first. Let others be in front and I'm last. I'm lowering myself and it's God and others first but not worldly kingdoms. Worldly kingdoms look for power first. Worldly kingdoms say, it's my preferences and comfort first. The worldly kingdom is about how how Jesus fits into my politics, how Jesus fits into my lifestyle and my behaviors, right? But for Christians, on Christ the King Sunday, I want you to know That by declaring Christ the king, you are saying, I am not. I am not the king of my own life. Christ is my king. Uh, For Christians on Christ the King Sunday, by declaring Jesus as Christ the king, we are saying, Caesar is not. We are saying, if Christ is king, money is not. If Christ is king, success is not. If Christ is king, my comfort is not. If Christ is king, entertainment is not. And buckle up, because this one's going to get really hard and uncomfortable, but we're going to push through it anyways. If Christ is king, then America is not. If Christ is king, my chosen political party or chosen political figure is not. If Christ is king, then my thirst for power is not. If Christ is king, then everything and everyone else in my life is oriented around his kingship first. Because Jesus is ushering in a different kind of kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. And this kingdom will continue to disrupt and confront the kingdoms of today. Because the kings and kingdoms of today are going to do what kings and kingdoms do. They're going to continue to seek power and control. They're going to continue to come and go. They're going to continue to rise and fall. 
This is what we've seen in Scripture over and over again, right? You've read the Old Testament. You've read Kings, right? This is what we see. After King David and after King Solomon, it was corrupt king after corrupt king after corrupt king. And these kings looked less and less like the heart and nature of God and more like the power and oppressive ways of this world. And so at one point, God said, you know what? I'm going to give you a new king. I'm going to promise you a new king, and this king will reflect my heart. No, no, this king will embody me. This king will show you what my heart looks like and what it looks like to be my kingdom people. This king will be the way. He'll be the truth. Truth. He'll be the light. He will be the life. And he's going to demonstrate my radical goodness and love and mercy and forgiveness and acceptance. So much so that it's going to seem crazy to the world. That the world is going to look at this king and then the world's going to look at his people, you and I, and they're just going to stand there scratching their heads like Pilate did, unable to figure out what is happening with these people and this king. The ways of King Jesus will look less like a grab for political power. They will look less like overall thirst and hunger for power and success. The ways of King Jesus will look less like money, fame, and comfort, and it's going to look more like this. You ready? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, in this passage, we are reminded that the religious leaders and Pilate, they all had to decide whether or not Jesus was actually king. And some of them did. Some of them did. We, we read that some of them did recognize it, and they aligned themselves with Jesus. But many missed it, right? Many of them missed it. But they were all seeking truth, that truth that Jesus talks about. They were all seeking some kind of truth, and they received that truth. That truth had been prophesied about over and over and over again. And here was this truth that just so ironically happened to be prophesied about. And they still missed it. And friends, I was reminded that we, we in this room and in this world, we are all looking for truth, aren't we? We're all seeking truth. What kind of truth are, are we going to align ourselves with? We're very passionate about knowing the truth. And it's really hard to get the truth today, isn't it? It seems to be really hard to find any kind of truth that we can depend on, 
which is really hard and sad. But we're all looking for it. We're all looking for this truth. We wrestle with this truth, what it is, what it isn't. We go back and forth. And it can feel complex at times, but friends, I just want to remind us it's very simple. It's Jesus. Jesus is the truth. His entire life was a testimony to this truth. I want to direct your attention back to verse 37. This is a profound verse when Jesus says, You say that I am a king. But in fact, or in fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. The truth is Jesus. The truth will always, only, forever be Jesus. And he says, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. I didn't read it earlier. But the very next verse, verse 38, Pilate says, what is truth? (laughs) And then if you keep reading, you find that he doesn't stick around long enough to find out. It's like, I I just picture him, there are so many details that I'm wanting, (laughs) where I just picture Pilate looking at Jesus and he's like, what is truth? And then he seems to turn around and leave. He didn't stick around long enough to find out. And so many missed the truth that was at hand. So many missed the kingdom of God that was at hand. So many missed Christ the king and the kingdom that he was ushering in. And friends, that worries me because I'm afraid that we are going to miss it. I'm afraid that I know there are people in the world who are going to miss it, who are missing it, but the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is now, it's at hand, and I am afraid I don't want us to miss it because the truth about the kingdom of God has been declared. That truth that you're looking for, that truth that is deep in your heart that keeps you up at night, that, 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 ta- that brings you know, discussions about in your relationships, that truth that everyone is looking for, that everyone is hungering, that, that everyone is hungry for, That truth is here, and it's Jesus, and I don't want us to miss that. That truth, you know, the gospel writer John is is who we read this passage. He's the one who wrote this passage that we read today, and I just want to remind you of what he declares at the beginning of his book, at the beginning of his letter. Remember, he says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things have been made. Without him, nothing has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. This is the truth. This is the truth for us today. The question is, will we receive it? This is Christ the King, and the truth to which he has testified. Is this the truth we will accept? And is this the King who will have our hearts? And if so, if the answer is yes, if Christ is King, then friends, that changes things. That changes 
everything, right? That, that changes the way you live. That changes the way you talk. That changes your habits. That changes your choices. That changes your behaviors. That changes your relationships. That changes how you talk to people. It changes how you treat people. It changes your response to people. It changes your posture. It changes everything, Everything we do is for the sake of the kingdom of God and in response to Christ the King. He is our who, he is our what, he is our why, and he is our how. Because it's only through him that we can do these things. So today, as we end this year on the Christian calendar, and as we prepare to enter into a new one, I want to encourage us to fix our eyes on this king, and I want to encourage us to reorient our heart to this kingdom. And I just have to say that if you haven't received this truth, this is it. The moment is now. This is the truth. This is the king. This is the kingdom of God that is at hand. Maybe if you've accepted this truth, but you've kind of strayed away from it, I want to remind you that this is it. Come back to it. This is it. And maybe you've accepted it and you feel like you've stuck with it, but maybe you've allowed the truth to be distorted a little bit. Maybe you've kind of aligned this truth with other things in your life rather than aligning your life around this truth. And if that's the case, I want to encourage you to seek God again. Seek God and his ways again and seek this truth and his kingdom again. Because this truth for followers of Jesus as citizens of this kingdom, we are to love radically. We are to radically welcome. We are to radically pursue those the world has forgotten or cast aside. We are to radically, and I would say recklessly, demonstrate love to everyone at all times above all else. We are to humble ourselves and to serve others. We are to look first to where Jesus is. Notice where he's moving. Notice where he's working. Notice where he's restoring. Notice where he's renewing and where he's redeeming. And that's where we should be. And I don't want us to miss it. That's the biggest fear of a pastor. I have a lot of fears as a pastor. One of them is like my biggest fear is walking up onto, or not, be, not being on the platform, being out here, my microphone being on, and I'm like singing wholeheartedly, like not holding back and everyone can actually hear me. That's one of my biggest fears as a pastor, in case you were wondering. My biggest fear, is a, some of my biggest fears as a pastor is that, you know, I dream all the time of, I think I dreamt it last night, if I'm being completely honest, and I get up here and I don't have my notes and all of a sudden I'm like, oh no, I'm going to have to like make this up as I go. That's apparently a big fear of mine. I have a lot of fears as a pastor, but I think my number one fear is not that just people of the world will miss the kingdom of God at hand, but I'm afraid that the church is going to miss it, and I don't want us to miss it. So Nikki and a few of the praise team members are going to come, and they're going to play a new song for us. And as they come, 
I just want to ask you this morning, do we see the kingdom or are we missing it? If we do say that we see the kingdom, then what is that? What is it? Where is it? And do we declare Christ our king? And if so, do our actions and our lives reflect his kingdom? We're going to sing this song called Jesus, Thank You. And it's a new song. I'm pretty confident you've probably never, I know you probably haven't ever sang this here, and you may have never even heard it before. I hadn't heard it until Nikki shared it with me the other night. And it's a beautiful song, and I really want you to pay attention to the words. And as you pay attention to the words, full disclosure, there's some lines in this song that are a little offensive at first. I'm not going to lie. I'll be totally honest and say there's lines in this song we were talking about, and I was like, oh, ooh, that's really hard. That hits really hard, and I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> that doesn't go along with what we normally talk about. I don't know what to do with that. But there's this line in the song that talks about the father crushing the son. And ooh, that's hard. That's clunky, hard language that we don't really talk about very often. But, but you need to know that, that that is probably a reference to the prophet. That's probably a reference to the prophet Isaiah. And a lot of times, prophetic language sounds really offensive at first and confusing and scary at first, but there's actually a completely different meaning behind it. It actually doesn't mean what it sounds like at all. And what I think, Nicole and I were talking about this, and what I think that this line in the song, this crushing, the father crushing the son, I think what that means, it's what I believe it to mean, is that the weight that Jesus carried was crushing. It was a crushing weight that he carried. It, it for sure would have crushed us, like for good. It would have been too much for us. We wouldn't have been able to carry that burden or carry the weight that Jesus carried. So I think while the weight that Jesus carried was, I mean, he carried the weight of the sin of the world demonstrated in this moment with Pilate. He carried that, and I think that weight was crushing for Jesus. And I don't think Jesus pretends that it wasn't crushing. I don't think Jesus shies away from that, hides it. I think Jesus full-on accepts and acknowledges this is too much. And apart from the Father, I can't bear it. But the good news for us as, as Christians is that this weight did not ultimately crush Jesus. But Jesus crushed death. It was death that was crushed and defeated. And Jesus took that on willingly. Remember when Jesus says, you, you, essentially something along the lines of, you don't take my life from me, I lay it down. Jesus laid his life down and carried this weight and this burden for us. And today on Christ the King Sunday and Thanksgiving Sunday, I want to ask, are you thankful for that this morning? Are you thankful that Jesus willingly accepted this and carried this weight for us? I'm thankful for it. And I'm thankful that the risen king that I serve and follow looks nothing like the worldly kings that we see. But Jesus, Christ the king who, who we follow, who I follow, he continuously works to level the playing field and welcome all to his table. Do you know that you're welcome to his table? 
And I'm not talking about like the Thanksgiving table. And don't get me wrong, I'm excited about the Thanksgiving table. I look forward to it all year. Very excited about the Thanksgiving table. But not everyone is. Not everyone's welcome to a table at Thanksgiving. Right? And there's going to be some people around the Thanksgiving table this week who are going to feel like they don't belong. They're going to feel awkward. They're going to get involved in a discussion that they didn't want to be involved in. There's going to be family dynamics, and those are hard and messy. This isn't like the Thanksgiving table. This is one where we are all welcome. And friends, I just want to tell you this morning that there is no table I would rather be at more than this table with you. This table, being here with you, being a part of this body, there is no table I would rather be at. And there's a line in this song that says, once your enemy now seated at your table. I just want to give us a moment to respond, to thank Jesus that we are invited to his table. And I want to give us a moment to respond and to intentionally reorient our hearts to this Christ, the King. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and for this reminder of who Jesus is and who we are as followers of Jesus. God, I pray that if there's anyone here that wrestles with this truth, if there's anyone that just struggles to accept and understand and believe this truth or, or we don't know how or what this looks like in our lives, God, would you just give us the eyes to see? God, would you remind us that, that we make this kingdom of God about so many things and oftentimes those things don't look anything like what it should look like. So God, would you help us? Lord, we need you. Give us a new imagination for what it looks like to be kingdom people. And above all, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your invitation. We thank you for giving us something to hope in and believe in. Thank you for that crushing weight that you carried. Thank you for defeating death so that we don't have to fear death anymore. But we know that we are a part of the eternal kingdom of God that is both coming and is here and now. And we don't want to miss it. So God, help us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Are you thankful this morning to be seated at his table? And I just want to encourage you, no matter what kind of confrontations you might have at your Thanksgiving table this week, hopefully none, but if you find yourself feeling out of place, if you find yourself just not fitting in quite quite perfectly, I just want you to take those moments and remember that you are always welcome to this table, and I'm so grateful to be a part of this body and this table with you. Amen? You may be seated. I just want to share a few quick announcements with you. Well, actually, I don't want to be dishonest. There's several announcements that I need to share with you this morning, but it's all good. There's lots of good things happening. Um, Today, is this the final Sunday, Tricia? One more Sunday. Okay, so I just wanted to make sure I highlighted that if so, but we are still collecting the gift cards for the Restore Network uh, Christmas party that's going to be in December. So you have today and next Sunday to get those to Trisha, um, those $25 restaurant gift cards. That's what we're collecting. Our goal, again, is um, 55 gift cards, okay? Um, This morning, we will be receiving the thank offering for world evangelism, for the World Evangelism Fund for the Church of the Nazarene. We receive this offering every year, and 100% of that goes to fund the mission of the Church of the Nazarene all over the world. Um, And so if you have that this morning, you can drop that in the offering plate as you leave, um, and that will be today. Christmas decorating is tonight. We're decorating the church for Advent at 5.30. I heard that I may have told you 6.30 last week or whatever time I told you. It's 5.30, okay? So if you heard any other time, disregard that because it's this evening here at 5.30. Um, anyone who you know is passionate about decorating, come out and help us. We're going to have guidance. Somebody's going to be telling us where to go and what to put things. So we just need people that are willing to just do what, what we're told to do, okay? And that takes the pressure off us. We just got to do what they say. Um, and we do have Advent books still available. If you missed one the last go-around, we still have some more, but you're going to see Kathy for those. Kathy Dothager has Advent books. Those are $6 each, so see her if you'd like one. That's just a, um, a book that's a devotional for ev- It's full of devotionals for every day of Advent, and we do that together as a church, and then that goes along with the sermons for Advent, and so um, it's just nice to, to have that. Um, Well, we are very excited to um, welcome to our fellowship um, Emily and Parker Meads. They are, um, Emily is the daughter of Ralph and Gina, and um, I just, because you're probably going to, some of you might not know who we're talking about, so they have just moved to the area, um, and they're going to be staying here. They're going to have jobs here, and we're so thankful for that, but they're also expecting a little baby, and so we are so excited for Ralph and Gina and for Parker and Emily, and we want you to know that we are going to be throwing them a shower on uh, Saturday, December 11th at 10 a.m., So uh, mark your calendars for that, ladies, and that's going to be a brunch shower, and it's going to be a really nice time. So we're looking forward to that. Um, We're going to be having a Christmas lunch, a church-wide Christmas lunch on Sunday, December 12th, after the morning worship service. Uh, Please sign up in the foyer just to let us know that you plan to attend and and how many in your family, just so that we make sure we have enough for everyone. Um, And so you can find that sign-up sheet out in the foyer. We're looking forward to that. And then finally, I just want to share you a report, some good news. Um, I want you to know that this past week, BFCN, because of your faithfulness, because of your giving to the Whiteside School District um, summer lunch program back in the summer, we were able to purchase 30 gift cards 
for 30 Whiteside School District families so that they could go and finish their Thanksgiving shopping to get the food that they need for their Thanksgiving meal. It's because of your faithful giving and your generosity that we were able to do that. And so I just wanted to share that report with you and say thank you so much and to let you know that because of you guys, uh, 30 families didn't have to stress as much about where they're going to get food for Thanksgiving this year. Amen? That's the kingdom of God at work, by the way. (laughs) That's the kingdom work that we're talking about. So thank you guys for that. And with that, I think that's everything. So I'm going to invite you to stand. And I just want to say this this morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, may you go in the grace and peace of your King Jesus. May you go and orient your hearts to his kingdom. I hope you have a happy Thanksgiving. You are dismissed. Have a great day.